Hello everyone and welcome to a special episode of One on One, or should I say in Hebrew, Shalom ובוכים הבאים לאחת על אחת. Here with me, as always, Uriel Daskal, hi hi. Hey hey. Hey hey. In today's episode, I'm truly excited to host Ala Maser, an ex-pro footballer and one of the most vocal, important, nice and straightforward athlete. Born and raised in Urbana, Illinois and played in more than 10 clubs in five countries. Hello Ayla. Hello, thank you for the, the nice intro there. <laughs> I should write that down. <laughs> If you I'm like. I'm honored to be here, guys. I really, I'm, uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for just letting us uh, get to know you and uh, introduce you to our audience. So how are you these days? Good. Um, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I just got back to Germany and it's been... Uh, coming from Madrid where the you know everybody speak about corona and uh, corona we had almost 800 deaths a day at one point um, so it's it's right now it's really nice I'm, I'm sitting outside because uh, to get some fresh air and watching people walk by with no mask on and you just kind of forget the simple things of being able to take a coffee outside if that makes sense yeah of course uh, we just got to I don't know, just uh, used to stay at home and doing nothing, and now we can go outside and get him back to normal, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Never thought just going to order espresso would be uh, <laughs> a way of, no- of making life normal again. Or just feel the sunlight. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you once said football has been the great- my greatest teacher because uh, it taught me what I'm made of and uh, in so many ways. I can totally relate to that, but can you tell us a bit more about uh, those life lessons that you had? Yeah, I mean, I just think, I mean, as you look back at your career, I mean, I, I, had, to, I had to look you up on, you know, Wikipedia, so I know that you played <laughs> national team and you played for the big club of Tel Aviv, so you, you know exactly what I, I'm talking about. I just think, you know, you, you learn discipline, you, you learn hard work, and at the same time, you, you love the sport probably most, And you make these sacrifices that just seem normal, which aren't normal in the normal way of life. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, it's a huge heartbreak because, you know, you do all the sessions, you do all the hard work. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to somebody else's decision. Um, and then sometimes it works out in your favor. And in other times, you know, you're sitting in a room crying alone in a different country. Maybe you don't speak the language. Maybe you do. And you're just asking yourself, okay, what am I doing? Who am I? How am I going to, you know, make enough effort to take the next step, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. I can totally relate, as I said. Uh, <laughs> as I mentioned before, you had a long and versatile career. We're going to talk about it. But I want to take you to the mm-hmm. beginning. Uh, when you first started in college, did you ever think that you would make it uh, as a pro footballer? Never. Never. I mean, it was a dream, you know. But in, in the States, you know, you, I was a walk-on. A walk-on at like a bigger university, but... A walk-on, which means you have no money, but um, I didn't come from much, like I've said before, and so you get money from the state. That was the only way it was possible. I mean, without football, in one way, I would never have gone to college and got a degree, which is very important. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I never thought in two years I would get a full ride and then actually have some opportunities to play for the U23 team. I mean, my credit to my coach and maybe my stubborn mentality, but it was just something that... You know, I had a little bit of luck because to have a great career, you can work hard, but you also need, you also need luck. Yeah, you need this, the decision makers that take you and give you the full confidence to play as much as you know and you can do. Exactly, 100%. Uh, you talked about your early life and uh, can you a little bit elaborate about it, about uh, growing up? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, when, when you get older, you realize how important the first 10 years of your life are. Yeah. Um, And especially the mentality part. And, you know, I have an older brother and I, and I thank him because he never let me win. You know, he would push me in the dirt. He would, he would beat me in race. He would laugh at me. But it, it created this mentality of just to compete. Um, and I remember my first 10 years, I was really lucky. You know, you had the American dream in a way of white picket fence, a great family. Um, and then all of a sudden my parents got divorced and... Alcoholic, alcoholism became a big problem for both of them. My mom went to the mental institution, and it just changed so quick. Um, but I come from a small town, so the one place that I could be free and feel normal, and even though everyone in the town knew exactly what was going on, um, they still didn't see me as this woman with a broken home and, you know, 
crazy mother. They saw me as this footballer with a lot of potential that worked hard. And I think that was the reason why football has always been a place to be a sanctuary, if that makes sense, because I was always normal there compared to all the other crazy stuff. And that's always been the case in my life. And that was a place where tie my shoes, you forget. And that's your, that's your place where you can be you no matter what's going on at home. Yeah, I can understand that, and I can I feel the, the same. But do you feel feel that football? Um, I'm sorry, that your life experience made you stronger in football, made your career better? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you 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 definitely you know who you're gonna be is definitely created one at these younger ages. And you know, I, I grew up in one way understanding that everybody ties your shoelaces the same way. Yeah. And um, but I also, on the other hand, realized that some people have you know shoes that they only get one pair a year and other ones get the brand new Nikes every month, you know? So it, it was a hard lesson, but at the same time, it was what's balanced. It said you have to work for what you get. Um, but there's always, I think the biggest thing I learned was you need to be stubborn and you need to have this chip on your shoulder to prove people wrong. Because I think that's also why I got so far in my career is because when other people quit, somehow, some way I had that little bit of luck and the stubborn attitude that I'm going to figure this out by myself. And you did so well. Yeah, you said you didn't believe that you would become a pro footballer, but after you smash all the records on, on college, did you start believing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, like I said, the chip on your shoulder in one way was really good. But in, when I look back now at that rookie year and going into the U.S. national team, I wish I would have believed it. You know, I, I believed eventually that I deserved to be there at a pro, but I wish at some point that chip on your shoulder, you just... You know, you put it in place and then you realize, you know what? I deserve to be here. This is my time. Enjoy it. Um, I think I got a little bit lost now that I have time to look back and understand the way football works. I got a little bit lost with the pressure and, and really questioning, oh my gosh, I come from a small town. I didn't grow up with much. Am I really deserve to be here, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, who, did you look up to someone when you grew up? Did you have a hero or a role model? that you said, I want to be like him or like her? Um, it's, I mean, I think my brother was definitely, because he also played uh, football. And, and now when I look back, I think my, my dad played American football at, in college. Um, and my mother was a, a ballet dancer. Um, so I kind of got the unique part of both worlds. Um, nice combination. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. soccer. It's yeah. American football from one side and uh, ballet, ballet yeah. from the <laughs> other side. And in the middle, it's soccer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, you know, I, had this, I had this luck that I grew up in sports and I always thought sports could be a nice platform. But I never, I don't know. I don't know if I ever understood or if there was someone exactly. But I, I mean, I remember I loved watching my brother and my father play. That was kind of my motivation. But back then, you didn't have a women's team to look up to. You know, everything came a little bit later. And we didn't really watch sports on TV because we just didn't have a TV. So <laughs> you just kind of grow to your environment. And we didn't have the Messi, Ronaldo's, or now today the Pernilla Harders, Sarah Bjorks that you can really look up to say, wow, I want to be like this world-class woman or men's player. Yeah, and you have two sisters as well, right? Yeah, two just sisters. One, one with volleyball. And a twin, yeah. And she, she was more volleyball, basketball type. So you're a sportive family. You were into sport all yeah. the time. So I mean, one of, the, one of the things I'll always remember is after dinner, you just go down and you play at the local park. You know, that was always our normal, that was our normal life. So I was very lucky that I grew up in that environment. Do you, see, do you think that still people do that? Like go outside and play? Because we don't see it a lot over here. It's always screens and it's your phone or your laptop or your tablet. And that's it. You don't go outside and play. Yeah, I don't think it's the same, to be fair. Um, I, guess, I think in Europe also, it's like it has such a different system. You know, people here go live in academies when they're 15 years old. Um, you know, we go to high school and then the college route. So I think, but I think like you said, People aren't outside playing. They're playing Fortnite on the PlayStation or they're WhatsApping or FaceTiming or Zoom calling. You know, we didn't, I'm so thankful I grew up when we did. I say we because I know that you're also my generation. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you, your phone isn't everything. You know, you have to be reminded of that now, but you can really see in the generations, we just, we didn't grow up with it. 
So I hope when people uh, were listening to this podcast, doing it while they're running or doing something outside and not just sitting at home. But that's exactly. my, my wishes. Do you think you are a role model to young uh, girls playing now? Being out of the game now, I mean, you hope. You hope in one way that you are able to make an impact. You know, you have such this short amount of time that people really want to see your platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you hope. You hope you, you live the lifestyle where it's open and honest and you show different sides of what it's really like to be a footballer or as it's just a normal human being. But um, I think as maybe I get older, it's the stories of trying to relate to audience. So if I go talk to a middle school, I kind of relate to bullying. If I talk to high school, then I say, just enjoy football because you don't need to be playing and getting burnt out as a high school. If I talk to a college team, I say, find your balance. And if it's pros, you yeah. know, it's, it's different of, I've been there. I understand. I've almost quit. Don't let a coach make that decision. Love the game. You know, it's what, I hope so, but I, I don't know. Well, I think so. It, and these days it's more easy to say what you have to say with so- social media. Yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten in trouble a few times for doing that, actually. <laughs> yeah, but as long as you're telling the truth, it's not like a big deal. It, it might get you in trouble, but, you know, you have to say what you have to say. Exactly, exactly. And I wish more people would do it. I wish people would more, because, you know, I, I feel so bad for my niece and nephews. I, you know, I have nine, and they're growing up in this culture where you look at Instagram and you don't see the hard days. You see picture perfect, model perfect, workout perfect, and they don't see what goes on behind creating these photos. I mean, a lot of the men footballers, for example, they paid someone thousands of dollars to do their social media feed. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, it's, it's, it's reality, but it's a false sense of reality. Or these women that are flawless, no wrinkles, <laughs> skinny, curves. You it's know, not real life. Falling on Instagram. No, it's, it's not real life. And unfortunately... It's not, it doesn't create an easier environment for them. Um, there's a lot of talk right now about bullying and, you know, mm-hmm. even police violence and, and, and all kinds of um, really horrible stuff. Uh, you've been a victim for, of bullying. Uh, could you take us uh, through this experience and, and tell us how you combat it on your daily lives and what do you say to kids that uh, do suffer from it and even adults who suffer from it? Yeah, I think bullying is always hard. I mean, whenever someone says something hateful to you, whether you know who they are sitting behind the, com- the computer nowadays, one, it's a lot easier uh, to bully. Um, and number two, it hurts. No one wants to hear, even if it's not true and you don't know them, no one wants to hear something negative about you or your post or your life. Um, and I think sometimes it still hurts, you know, it's still like an open wound that someone throws salt in and it's going to burn a bit. But at the same time, I've, I've learned to start speaking up for myself. And the one thing I don't understand about bullying, um, especially on the social aspect more, because I'm not in school is why do you follow a person if you don't like them? Yeah. If, you, if you know that I'm pregnant with another, you know, and I'm in a, with a woman in a relationship, And you don't respect it, which is completely fine. I, I, I respect everyone's opinion or religiously, if you look at that aspect of it, I, I have so much respect for different opinions. I don't agree with it, but I respect it. But I'm not going to follow something that doesn't bring something positive to my life. Um, and I think for the bullying for kids, it's, people don't understand how much words can hurt and how much, if you really knew what you said could take someone's life, Would you really say it? Because that's the truth of bullying. You can hurt someone so much with your words that one day they take their life. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a consequence that might be extreme, but it's still a consequence, especially in high school um, and younger ages, that is, is a reality. Yeah, it's a sad reality right now. And you know, I post a lot of posts and uh, tweets about uh, women's football and the growth of women's football. And always there is one, two, ten people that take the time to write to me. But it's not interesting. Okay, but you took the time <laughs> to reply to it. Exactly. So exactly. I don't understand it, really. No. And the thing is, it makes it so easy because usually in, when I was younger, you know, bullying is a face-to-face where you see someone literally doing it to you. Now I've heard about these young kids that it's just, if someone doesn't like your photo on Instagram, mm. I mean, it's so much easier and it's so much easier to give power to these people because they're sitting behind a screen or saying something where actual confrontation is not an issue anymore. 
Yeah, and you're so in, and you are involved in a lot of uh, social pro- projects, including uh, One Goal. Um, yeah. And you also have your own agency that we're going to talk about it later. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about more how important it is to these athletes to know that they have the backup of uh, role models like you and other athletes, uh, especially in this social project like One Goal? Yeah, I just think it's important that you have to remember that you're human, you know, and that you also accept the, the responsibility that you are an athlete and, you, you know, you've gotten this incredible platform and that you use it to make the world a bit better. And I think athletes and I think sports in general are such a platform that the impossible can happen. You know, in a football game, you're down 3-1 and then all of a sudden you can come back and tie it. I mean, there's something in sports that you can't kind of create and a platform wise anywhere else in the world, or in my opinion, um, from cheering for a team or a hundred thousand people coming. I mean, it's a really unique area of life. Um, and then I also think, like I said, you have such a short period to be at uh, people actually, for some reason, want to listen to you more if they know that you play for a Wolfsburg or Lyon or on the men's side of Real or Barcelona. Yeah. And it, you can see a Megan Rapino, for example, she's taking this sport platform and she's turned it into a political standing yes i mean without sports she wouldn't have this chance to create this political kind of upbringing and fight for the people and that kind of thing and i think it, sports is that possible that it can really change lives and world i couldn't agree more uh, yeah. do you think i mean <clears throat> you know we've seen uh the premier league men's premier league coming back and uh, the spanish league coming back the Spanish men's league yeah. coming back and the women's games in, in England and Spain are not coming back. It, it's a very problematic message uh, saying, uh, let's get football back and then don't bring half of football yeah. back. Um, yeah. w- what do you think about that? I mean, we know the, the Bundesliga, the, the women's bund- Bundesliga is, is back, but what do you think about um attitudes towards uh i mean businessmen's attitudes towards women's uh, football today this is a it's a tricky question because i think it's it's a reality of the fact is that for example real madrid this is where i, I am so i see real madrid creating a women's team you know and, and it's a huge step in the right direction i see the spanish league creating a players union which is way ahead of any other women's league Team, meaning that the lowest teams, the top teams, the Barca, Atletico, the Real Madrid fought for the little teams to have a minimum salary. Yes. You know, that hasn't happened in any other women's professional league. So it's been a huge step in the right direction. But at the same time, I know all too well that if Real Madrid men take a hit like not playing and they don't get their TV rights, it's not the men's team that's going to suffer. The first team that's going to go is the women's team. So it's a, there's a very fine line of balance because... of history and that kind of thing. But we also have to be real in the fact that, you know, men's football has this history and it has this passion and it's been foundation. It's been 40, 50, 60 years in all these different leagues. And the only time in England when women played was in the world war two, when the men were off the war and that was the only team the league was founded. And then when the men came back, even though they had thousands of people come to the games and world war two, it ended because the men came back. So it's, It's a hard thing to swallow as a woman and a player, but at the end of the time, men's football is the reason that we can do what we do with the salaries that we can now is because they've taken a chance, some of these older businessmen on a chance that women's football can sell, which it has started to prove that it is a huge industry. The media is catching up. We just need another 10 or 15 years, and then I think we can really identify women's football and men's football. But right now, I think it's, it's way too mixed. We can't. In my opinion, women's football, unfortunately, cannot survive without men's football. Unfortunately. Yeah, I think we all can agree about that. But I think still that there is some kind of a role about, I would say, the FAs or the government to improve women's football and invest in women's football, regardless to what happens in, in men's football. I'm not talking about the Absolutely. sponsors or the businessmen, but I'm talking about the government and the uh, governing bodies of the football They should invest. They, they are saying that they are, they are investing. Let's take, for example, um, the German FA that said they won't go play against uh, countries that uh, 
don't uh, preserve women's rights and everything, but you see their investments in women's football, it, it's kind of funny to see it. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just read this article. I think, like you said, you know, I heard UEFA and FIFA have just changed the rule with women's coaches. That now they actually have to have a women's coach in every national team, yeah. women. What? But there's what? also an article out. The, is it they, like a rule right now? Yeah, they, they just changed, I think, in the summer or this summer that now UEFA, if you're an organization that have national team, you have to have some, whether it's a women's physio or athletic oh, okay. trainer, you have to have a woman on the staff. Yeah. Um, but then I, I know this because uh, Babette is doing her master's and she just looked at, in the German league, men and women, yeah, men's proud Bundesliga and the Bundesliga. How many women are in the board? And when I say board, I mean coaching staff, athletic trainers, or the board of the club. And this is a found Bundesliga, yeah? This yeah. Is women coaches, anything. It's only 4%. Oh my God. And this is a, a league that you think that is a lot farther ahead. Um, and then I was talking to Magda Erickson, who's here, and I've had the pleasure of training her and Babette right now. Yeah. And in the, AP, in the English league, there's, I think, six women coaches. But yeah. it's still miles behind. Why is there no women coaches on the men's side? I mean, it's just this, this time where they have to, like you said, the only way it's going to happen is if the FA, if the UEFA put on this pressure that, at least just hear a woman out, you know, I let her allow to have a chance, <laughs> yeah. opportunity to interview her. Or, or yeah, a, a Rooney rule, some, some, some sort of a, a Rooney rule, basically, that uh, makes uh, the interview of a minority or a woman uh, something compulsory. Exactly. And you don't have to choose them, but just at least look like you're even trying, because I think these men players would be for these men's situations, they'd be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I would love to sit down with Jurgen Klopp and tell him what I think about his tactical and technical decisions because I love watching that side of the game. And, you know, with my experience, it's not set out of a cocky way, but if I was a men's player and I played at PSG, Wolfsburg, you know, I played in eight different Champions League teams. Yeah. I played in six different countries. From my experience alone, you would think I would get an opportunity to at least have a seat at the table. Of course. And during your career, did you have a... Uh, wait wait how a second. Many, we're we're yeah. going we're gonna to call Jürgen Klopp about it. Yeah. And we're going to ask him. Yeah. For <laughs> or maybe Casey Stoney. Maybe she should hire you as well. Um, if you talked about England, of course. Or maybe Emma Hayes. Mm. She, you played it for Emma Hayes, right? Yeah, Emma Hayes was my first ever pro coach, actually. So you had a, a good role model in front of you. Uh, yeah. we, we also had Emma Hayes uh, on. In, 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 we interviewed uh, Emma Hayes a few months ago. She was the first uh, international episode of One of One. Yeah. So ah, if okay. you want, you can listen. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, talking about your career and reflecting on it, uh, as you said, you played in six countries and you played eight Champions League teams. Uh, but you have to move a lot. But your first move, I can say it was kind of easy from uh, Urbana to Chicago. Yeah, that was my, you know, my brother was there, my sister was there. That was just me being able to represent my home. I say home country because what people don't understand is that the states are, you know, just different countries. Yeah. It's, it's no different <laughs> than Europe, in my opinion. If you're in Illinois, you are nowhere like anyone in Indiana. Yeah. You know, it's no difference from France to Germany. So... Um, that was a huge honor, and it was just so nice to have my family around. And unfortunately, that hasn't happened 10 years, <laughs> 10 years later. Yeah, of course. But then uh, the WPS folded. And yeah. as, I, as I see your career, you've been to a lot of teams, as we say, and you've played in Sturman and Chicago Red Star, the Magic Jack in Florida, Paris Saint-Germain, again in the Red Star, in Houston Dash, uh, in Rosengard, and then you finished your career in Wolfsburg. But there's, there were many times that you're doing your wonderful career that you felt like you're going, it's going to end. But then, then another yeah. opportunity just hit you in the face, and you took the opportunities. Exactly. I mean, I'll never forget when I got let go of Magic Jack and I was 24, 25, and I thought, okay, this is my time. The WPS is folding. <laughs> and for some crazy reason, like, again, it's fate. You know, you're in, you're in the hand of somebody else. Yeah. Um, I was just training with a bunch of pro guys in Chicago. And then one day I get a call from my agent. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? What do you mean? <laughs> you got a passport? Yeah. You're going to PSG. My I God. mean, it was that quick. And then 
you, you, you travel over and it was me, Audi Long, who played on the national team mm-hmm. and a Mexican international. And it was us three fighting for one spot. And thank God I was fit in training, you know? So yeah. minus the jet lag, I got a really lucky opportunity to just go play for PSG. And uh, unfortunately for me, they, they liked me. And that was a, I mean, it's PSG. You have, it doesn't get much sweeter than that playing for an international club. Yeah, and they had a good, uh, I would say, uh, opponent on the other side from uh, Olympique Lyon. And uh, yeah. the, <laughs> I th- you think the, the French league is, is a good league or just two teams, two top teams, and the rest of it is not that professional or not that good? I think it's, it has gone up and down, but I think the problem with um, the French league and the German league is... There's no reason why the top teams have 55 points and the bottom teams have five. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, when you're at PSG, you got excited for Lyon, you got excited for Champions League and the Cup because you can play Lyon. Yeah. So it, you kind of have to get, get what you get from training, which is, of course, top training in the world. I mean, you're playing with incredible players. It's the same as Wolfsburg. But I think, for example, the difference in the Spanish league is you have your Barca Atletico, but still the number eight, nine team can give an Atletico a 2-1 game. So it's more competitive overall there's not so much of a a huge powerhouse yeah and you can see Real Sociedad winning the cup so it's really exactly competitive league yeah of course but you had played I'm gonna ask you a tough question I'm sorry about that you've played Uh-oh. with a lot okay. of good players uh as you said mm-hmm. Emma coach Emma Hayes was the coach but you play with Hope Solo Abby Wembeck uh you play with of course Aaron McLeod your ex You play with yeah. uh, a lot, a lot of good uh, Cristiani and Marta and uh, Megan Rapino and uh, Carly Lo. And uh, for me, I can say I can go on and on. But I want you to choose your uh, starting lineup. My starting lineup, yeah. goalkeeper included. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I'm she's my ex, but I'm still biased. I think Erin. Yeah. Um, is someone that is just her mentality and her work ethic is is. Not many people could do what she's done in her career or recovered the way she did to come. Um, four, four, two. Actually, I'd probably go with a three back now. <laughs> Definitely Whatever you want. It's your team. You know, we're going to talk about a little bit later about your uh, UEFA license that you've done, the B license. Yeah. So whatever you want, whatever formation you choose. I think I would go Wendy Renard. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's just a freaking nature. And I think I would go Babette, obviously. Yeah. And I'd go Magda Erickson. Um, those three as my back. Then, of course, you're going to have to do a Lucy Bronze. I mm-hmm. think she's one of the best players in the world. Um, do you think I go that... I New York. One, one second about Lucy. Do you think that she's, like, uh, I would say, wasted on, uh, as, a, as a defender? I don't know. I mean, I've... The, the, the unique thing about Lucy Bronze is that there's not many girls that have both sides, meaning the physical and the speed. Yeah. Um, players, you know, usually you got a big flag as out of York, you know, she's just a hitter in the middle, in the <laughs> midfield, it's hitting a rock, but she doesn't have that explosiveness maybe as much as Lucy. Lucy is someone that is so unique because she can fly. She's so fast. And, but at the same time she has her body. So I, I don't think, I think I'd rather as outside back than a midfielder, for example, because then she can at least get up and down the line and really create, you yeah. know, now you look at a Danny Alves, you look at a Marcelo, These outside backs are almost like wingers. Yeah, They're but so I feel I feel she's more like Trent Alexander-Arlon. Like she's playing like the playmaker as a right back, you know? She's, she's getting the yeah, ball exactly. a lot also in the back uh, set. But I'm sorry to, to stop you. Go ahead. <laughs> you said no, no. Babette, Wendy, uh, McDonald, yeah. Erickson, Lucy Bronze. Yep, Zada Bjork for sure. Yeah. Um, then I'd go Pernilla in the midfield with yeah. her. Um, and I would also go Claudia Neto. Okay, that's the midfield. Claudia, Claudia Neto is someone, she's so underrated here at Wolfsburg. Um, I've never seen someone be able to keep the ball and play, even build the game up or break it down like she has. She is one of the best players I've seen it. Um, and you know what, if you asked me this question five years ago, I would have said Formiga. Yeah, but she got, she got a contract extension in PSG. She's amazing. She's 42 years old and she's keep going. You know, Formiga is someone that she, if you ask me the best player I've ever played with in my career, it's Formiga, hands Whoa. down. Um, okay, then I'd have to go my right mid. Oof. <laughs> that, one's, that one is hard. Uh, 
I'd probably go to the summer. Yeah. Maybe I'd put her as my 10. Um, but yeah. And then I would say my striker. I don't know. I think Ava Payor is someone that her speed is, is one to none. But I still think, I hope to see her go to a team where they really develop her a little bit more, you know. And, and Wolfsburg, when she's in space, she's so explosive. She's so fast. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I guess I didn't name any U.S. players. Yeah, this is what I was thinking. I was looking at, um, can you say someone from NWSL as well? I think Tobin is what she can do with the ball is, is world class. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Me and my friend, we, had a, we have this habit uh, when FIFA or UEFA account on Twitter tweeting who is the best player, who is the best dribbler, and then we post like a... Uh, Tobin Heath gif or something like that to show them she's the best <laughs> I mean when you yeah, talk about nutmegs and stuff like that she's all over the place yeah exactly but I think my mind is so I think I think European first it's just because these are the yeah these are the opponents I've seen day in and day out for the last five years and so, the US girls I see once in a world cup and that's and that's a hard hard place to see it yeah but maybe next time we host you you said you're American <laughs> 11 Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the relocation you had to do because you moved around a lot, but you also try to learn the language and like be very local, I would say. Yeah, I think you can't, for me, you know, I've been so lucky to play in so many countries, but for me, it's when you start to understand the language that you can understand the culture. Yeah. And for me, that's just been so important. You know, I can do German, you know, and be one in German, be one in German, now I'm B2 in Spanish. So I think it's, It's also an opportunity where how can I get the most out of my job, but also for my post job, because now I have no problem going to speak to a Spanish player. If I have a German player, okay, my grammar by far is not yeah. perfect, but I can at least communicate. So in the, you know, in the men's game, you see guys that can play, speak five to six languages, um, and I can understand with my French. So for me, it's just important for my post job to say, okay, I've done the work while I'm playing. I didn't go to school, but I've learned these languages that hopefully can help me be an asset to a team one day. Yeah, and you, you retired last summer, and uh, now you are coaching a, a team in the Seven League in Germany? Yeah, a refugee team here in Germany, yeah. yeah. So tell us a, bit, a little bit about yeah. more about that. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly an example. You speak German, you speak French, and then you speak a little bit of English. Um, and the only reason it works for me to keep, teach these, you know, massive African men is because I played with them for six months before. So they saw me as a player and they earned my respect. People ask, Oh, do you think you can coach a men's team? I think men's players, it's so much about respect. So no, I don't think a woman's player can go in and be a head coach, but I think if you can go in and be an assistant and you can build that respect, that if you have the locker room and that respect yeah. built, then you can go into the professional, but you really, that foundation of them knowing you as a human being and seeing you as a footballer, to be fair, That helps you build that, okay, she knows what she's talking about, same as me, let's go from there. Um, and that's the only reason it works here is because I have that core group of guys that really respect me and, and allow me to be their coach. Would you and it's not easy because, to be fair, it's, you know, I have some Syrians, I have some guys um, that are very Muslim, and they really believe this religion. And for them to say, a woman is coaching me alone, and then to also for them to say that I am in a relationship with a woman – There's so many different circles of life that come together, which I know how powerful football is because when we're on the pitch, they just call me coach, if that yeah. makes sense. But you can relate to, to their uh, religious uh, views, right? You had one of your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's such a uni unique thing that it's possible because I know how much a religion can be at your core and how much it can be. I mean, a lot of my guys do Ramadan. Yeah. And it's, I have to be very understanding of my coaching and I, they played games. I have no idea how they did that because no food. Yeah. A lot of them don't even drink water. I mean, it's, it's just such a, and it's a, for me, it's also an, an eye opening of into a culture that I can say, I understand, but I have no idea. Would, would you say that, um, your dream job is, is being a coach of men in one of the top leagues or is it too wild of a dream? To dream um, it even. I think it's, I think it's just a coach. I don't, I mean, I get along with men, I think easier than women, to be fair. I think men are an easier, 
um, it's easier to relate to them for some reason because I've always grown up with guys in a way um, and I feel more comfortable. I think women, you know, guys, for example, when I train with the the professional men, we're playing a game 5v5, guy gets stuck into tackle, doesn't like it, legal tackle, gets up, pushes the guy, they get in each other's face, yeah? Mm -hmm. A fight's going to break out. Calms down, finish playing. After, as soon as they watch off the pitch, they're like, hey, you want to get a beer? Yeah, let's get a beer. No problem. It's over. Yeah? Women, from my experience, you get in a fight on the pitch, you walk off. You keep it for years. That argument, <laughs> it's not over. So yeah. I just think it's um, women, you, you can't just have, it's Emma Hayes is a perfect example. In Chicago Red Stars, I think I had the best team around me. You had Carly Lloyd, you had Swedish Carolyn Janssen, you had... Megan Pino, you had Marion Dalmi, Kate Marcraft, Cristiani, you had Formiga, you know, these world-class players in their prime, but we weren't a team. So we ended up finding ourselves at the bottom of the league. This is what she said as well. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we we weren't a team. So we had to find a way, and women, you can't just have world-class players come together. You have to find a background of saying it's more than just football so we can connect on the pitch. If you don't have that connection off of it, doesn't matter who you have you're not going to be world class and men i don't think it's the same yeah um there's a lot of talk recently uh about body image in uh women's mm. sports and um in israel especially uh there was a campaign uh led by oshrat even uh, about the body image of uh of women athletes uh, who wrote mm. um wonderful posts on Facebook and uh, social media about their experience uh, with that, uh, with the comments of uh, men behind the keyboards. And not only men. Not only men. <laughs> not only men. Uh, but yeah. it's, it started with a woman remark, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, on a reality show, one woman remarked about, let's say, an Olympic medal winner about her body and uh, that she's like a gorilla and <laughs> something like that. Yeah. That started the whole thing. So, so uh, I, would, I would like, you know, to uh, know more about your feelings uh, about body image. And I mean, I don't really know how to ask it, but do you think it's one of the missions of women's football to show that the... To, to improve uh, body image of girls around the world, maybe? It, that's like the I, I, meaning of that sport, maybe? Absolutely. I mean, I remember growing up. I mean, I'm, I'm built like my father, so I joke now, but like a short stump, yeah? yeah. I am short and I am, I am wide. And, you know, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I didn't have the skinny legs. I had muscles. I had the calves. I had the quads. I had biceps. And for a 12-year-old girl... That doesn't actually get the most men, you know? And at that time, I was interested in men. That's funny enough. Yeah. Um, Nobody's but I perfect. Didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't comfortable in my body. I didn't think I was beautiful because I had muscles. Um, and I think it took me a long time to say, wow, okay, I've worked really, really hard for this body. And this is, I want to show it off. For example, if I train really hard and I want to take a, sh- a, sh- uh, a photo with my shirt off, so I show my six-packs, so what I've created and worked and this is my craft yeah i think it should be celebrated but people will comment oh why why are you taking your shirt off you shouldn't have to do that but men walk around shirtless all the time and they have these muscles and it's for them it's really celebrated um and i think in the women's game you don't one i think an eating disorder is is a really big issue to be fair because you know in, in wolfsburg every week we had body composition and we had to stand on a scale And I, if you're not, and if you're a 21 year old kid and you're not taught the right way that, you know, it's good to be 60 kilos, it's yeah. good to have this extra muscle weight, even though your BMI is in a higher percent because you need this fat and this muscle. Um, I think there's so many different aspects of it, but I just think our muscles should be celebrated instead of looking at, Oh, she looks like a man. Oh, she's not sexy. Oh, you know, I think now with sports illustrated and you see these women on the covers, it's getting a little bit more normal of, Okay, it's a huge craft. You know, yeah. it's hard for you and it, it should be celebrated. Yeah, but you grew up in the States and obviously over there, soccer, it's more of a, I wouldn't say girl sport, but it's not as manly as it's 
considered here in Israel. And also over here, we had to suffer exactly. this comment about that football is not for a girl, for a woman, uh, for a young lady. Mm -hmm. And that plus our body image. And yeah, we work hard for this muscle and we should be celebrating it and we should be showing off our muscle. You know, the first time I saw my quads, I was like, hey, I, I worked for that. That's <laughs> nice. That's going to help me on the pitch. And uh, exactly. other people didn't think like that. So we did this campaign to help these young girls that maybe not running a healthy life or even quitting sports. So we should talk for them. And I think we have a good opportunity these days after the successful World Cup that people see women's football as, as a good thing, as a rising sports, as, you know, even, even financially, more and more uh, companies want to go in and, and sponsor teams or uh, say even national teams. So we, could, we should use that, to use that power to, to show up the good stuff in it. And I think that every footballer is, is more healthy than any other one in, in, in our society, in our, I would say, screen society, you know? Yeah. And, and we also, Absolutely. you know, we know that one of the, you know, the parents are our problem as well yeah. because they don't want their uh, baby girl to, uh, to look athletic uh, a lot of times. Yeah. And, it's, and it's a problem because... You know, if you don't have the support of your parents, it will be very hard for you to continue uh, doing sports in a professional manner or a semi-professional manner. Absolutely. I mean, I think it, it, you, you want to talk about sports, you want to talk about confidence, you want to talk about looks, you need your parents to say, hey, listen, you're beautiful and you're perfect just the way you are. I think that's also the biggest thing is that if you look at a, a women's football team, the power of it all is that every single person is different. I have a different body shape than every woman on that 18 roster yeah. and it doesn't mean it's ugly or prettier. It's just, you should be celebrated for being who and your, and your body type because we just, that's, we're made, no one is made like you. No one is made in your perfect way and women should celebrate that and young men. I don't think, I think it happens for them too, but it's not talked about like in the women's game. No, not at all. And right now you're helping mm -hmm. these women, these uh, athletes, these uh, footballers, even uh, just playing footballers and ex-footballers to show the, what they have uh, through your agency. Help me with the name, Doyen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Doyen Sport. Yeah. Doyen Sports. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, Doyen really just means that you're, you know, that you're a woman in your sport and that you're the top woman. You're the one that is most celebrated. And that was the reason that we wanted to do this was because we don't want to give these the women that have, like the U.S. national team that has this great financial background, we want to celebrate women that have been professional athletes. So in England, for example, not only if you play for Chelsea, but if you play for Liverpool, who's just been relegated, yeah. it doesn't matter. You're still a pro athlete. And the truth of the matter is, is that after you play a season with liberal women, most likely you're either in school or you've been working, you know, yeah. but you're still a pro athlete. Um, and so our agency is just about trying to, right now we're, we're solely kind of focused in England, but it's just about allowing these women to be celebrated as pros and to start building community. So when this girl retires from whether it's Arsenal or Birmingham, You have this community say, listen, you're not alone. You've been a pro. Let's celebrate you. And let's try to get you into the community that you have an easy step out of retirement because you're not like the men who don't have to work for five or 10 years. You know, yeah. you have to go into work and we want to make this as easy as possible, but not forgetting your time as being a professional footballer. How was the retirement for you? How do you feel since you retired? Yeah, it went black, to be honest. It was, you know, it just, the lights go out and the lights go out. I mean, I had a little bit of luck. I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I was going to do the B license. I knew, I didn't know I was going to leave Germany, to be fair, but um, I've had a real big passion for this, this next step. And for me, it wasn't saying goodbye to football. It was just saying, stepping into a, a new chapter. So it was a little bit easier, um, but it's hard. I mean, when people ask, do I miss it? I, I don't miss all the, excuse me, like the crap that goes on outside the scenes. Yeah. Um, but I miss, I, miss, I miss the locker room. You know, just having that time, you go in, you're with the girls after. I mean, you really have this sense of family, especially when you play in a different country. These girls become your family. And, you know, some of my greatest friends are the people that I, I played with. So that's the thing I miss the most is that feeling of community. Yeah, I interviewed a lot of footballers during the, I would say, corona <laughs> off-season, I would say, a corona break or whatever. And the 
first thing that everyone said, men and women, that they missed the locker room. I think it's the, the dynamic over there and the atmosphere is not like, you can't get it anywhere else. But you yeah, have- I was actually, I had a, last year I was on a, a panel with Numo Gomez, Paulo Fiera, like some of the biggest players yeah. in the men's game, Luis Fano and, you know, Nuno Gomez was joking that he would just go to the local YMCA and go into the sh- go into the, the shower showers. and just hang out in the locker room there because he missed that sense of he didn't get arrested or anything. With the boys, <laughs> no, so yeah, that's kind uh, of weird. Yeah, it, it's but, the same on both sides. So you, you were telling us that you are seven months uh, pregnant. Uh, can you tell us about mm-hmm. a little bit more about the decision? Did you wait after you retired? Did you? thought about it during your career? Yeah, I mean, I think that's also a reality with women's players. You have this short time to have kids. I mean, now it's, it gets, it's getting pushed back a bit, you know, but at 35, you're, you're considered geriatric in the, in the womanhood area. So <laughs> yeah. um, I knew when I was done playing that I wanted a family and, you know, with being this way and doing it the IVF way, um, it, you never know how long it's going to take. So I knew I wanted to be And I, I'm very lucky that it, that it turned out and that I'm due in August. So it's, it's been a quick transition, but it's also been in time that I'm very excited for, yeah, being, being a mom. My belly, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me to wrap my head around this basketball I have in my stomach right now, to be fair. Talking about the body issues, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's truly a miracle. But I've seen on, on Instagram that you're training during uh, pregnancy. Uh, is that okay. something, I mean... For a lot of people, it's weird, but what do you... Did you see on Instagram that Alex Morgan was practicing until the Exactly, and and, you know, Mm -hmm. when uh, I posted the videos of uh, Alex uh, Morgan training uh, with her basketball in in her stomach, uh, people were saying, oh, that's dangerous, that's horrible, she shouldn't do it, obviously. So can you tell us about, you know, how to train safely maybe uh, with uh, during pregnancy? And maybe how important it is to keep on training yeah, while mean, pregnant. That, you know, they, they say I, we have a clinic that's been really great and, and we've talked about it. But, you know, the thing is I have a heart rate monitor on. I know I'm not getting into my red zone, um, but it's what your body's used to. So if I didn't do sports before my pregnancy and I start running or I start playing football, then, of course, my body is not going to know how to handle it. Yeah. But for my body, for example, and I've talked to – two or three doctors about it, you know, it's used to me being active. It's used to me doing this. I'm not doing anything new. I'm actually really coming behind or actually went down a lot of levels to continue to be fit. Um, and for me, I actually thought when I'd get pregnant, I'd be able to do some milkshakes and eat McDonald's and <laughs> really relax. But I, I think it's been so hard to be fair and to be brutally honest to accept my body as it's changing. I mean, I, I know I, I hear my son's heartbeat in my belly. I mean, it's, it's truly a miracle. I can't understand it. But at the same time, I've had a flat stomach and I've had strong legs and I've had biceps for 20 years, yeah. you know? So, um, for me, it's also a time to be normal and to feel like I have this schedule and this time. And I also know that it's healthy for my baby. Um, but I would not recommend it to someone that hasn't been doing it their whole life. And I, you know, I, I joke at Alex Morgan, you know, I played with Alex, yeah. but you know, she's training to come back for the Olympics, but I feel like I'm training, but I'm not coming back for anything, you know? So it's just, uh, and she got one year more <laughs> for the Olympics. Exactly. <laughs> Alex Morgan now looks like the smartest woman in the world. Yeah. You know, she has literally missed nothing, you know, and she's a world famous athlete. So good for her. Maybe that's the conspiracy. She's behind the, yeah. the coronavirus. You know, everyone, exactly. uh, <laughs> it's all for Alex. You Alex have to Morgan's wait for pregnancy. Trump to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it's true. I'm guessing. Then it's, then it's for sure. Uh, okay. So, um, I was talking with, uh, real about your career and we would, we were saying that, um, it's not uh, transparent. You know what I mean? If it makes sense that people know that you're a good athlete, people know that you are a pro footballer, but they don't have like, I would say, your, see your highlights or whatever you did and they don't know uh, your national team background. What do you say, what do you think we should say, we should do or people should do to know more about the, uh, at the career of a pro athlete? Yeah, 
I mean, I think it's just about being excited about it to watch it. I mean, now you have this, for example, in the FA player, the WSL, you can watch the, the women play no matter wherever they are. Yeah. And we actually had this conversation today because, you know, I'm in Wolfsburg where these girls are number one in the league, but most likely go to Champions League. Mm-hmm. You know, they could, they've been top to contenders for so many years. But if, you know, Zada Gundis Zada says, I play for Wolfsburg, and then Babette Peter says, I play for Real Madrid, even though Real Madrid is not very good as a women's team yet, what will people know more? Yeah. It's still about the men. You right. know, they'll be like, oh my God, Real Madrid, who's that? Even though Wolfsburg is our Real Madrid for the women's side. For sure. Yeah. So I think it's just about paying attention and, and watching and getting excited about it. And like you find the men's team, you should also find a women's team that you follow and watch. And with social media, you can find out a lot about these players and their lifestyles and see who they are off the field, which I think is a little bit different than the men's players because not many women's players are paying thousands of dollars for someone to do their social media. Yeah. It's truly them and their lifestyles and their training. And it's, it's very unique. So they should follow your agency and see what uh, these amazing ladies are doing. Yeah, I just think it's all about, too. I mean, they can have a favorite player and it's a lot. It's a very personal connection. You know, I think it's that's the beauty of social media. It's, it is personal. Yeah. I'm on the Megan Rapinoe uh, bandwagon for 10 years now. I, I loved her before mm. before everybody hated her. <laughs> I loved nice her. Nice way to say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved her before yeah. everyone. Uh, I, I wished she was uh, playing for for Arsenal, the men's team, uh, because yeah. her fighting spirit. So uh, Oshrat can back me up on that. Yeah. He always talks about it. Yeah. Like <laughs> more than 10 years, I think. <laughs> But now people... Yeah, you gonna... know, Megan, Megan, Megan's a funny one because she's someone that I've played with and, and it's the same feeling. Like one game, she could, you would never notice that Meg Rapinoe's on the pitch. But as a coach, you have to play her because she's also the one player that if she needs to turn it on or when she turns it on, no one in the world can hang with her. Yeah. And she's been that way for 10 years. And that to, to stay at the top of the game like that, it is no easy feat by any means. Yeah, and after all the injuries she had, I mean, she's amazing. Exactly. With her body and with her mind as well. Exactly. But now people in Israel and around the world are going to talk about Ella because our episode <laughs> and <laughs> what we have exposed. I want to thank you for your time uh, and for your lovely words and I hope everyone will listen to it and we'll follow you and us and <laughs> our podcast. Yeah. And uh, thank you for taking I the time it. after this 22 hours of uh, driving from Madrid to <laughs> Germany. No worries. I thank you guys. I mean, it's, it's also that you're putting interest and you're growing the game worldwide. I think, you know, we don't give respect to our, our neighbors in this world. You know, everything's so focused on the U.S., but the truth of the matter is, is that it's something that can really change lives and promote the women's game. And if there's a place that needs it more than ever, it's not the, it's not the Americas that need the hope to build the game. It's, it's the rest of the country. So credit to you guys for, for doing that. Hallelujah, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh take care ella and um yeah sounds good and and we're waiting to see the baby picture in uh, two or three months <laughs> <laughs> sounds good perfect thanks guys i appreciate your time thank, thank you. you okay bye bye bye, bye. So that was Ella Masser. And uh, as we speak about it before, it was Ella Massar, if we should talk about our German words. But as I said, next time, next chapter, we're going to talk about it. Thank you, Uriel. תודה לך, אושרת. תודה למאזין האחרון.